So just uh, kind of some audience participation. How many people do New Year's resolutions? How many like them? Okay. Good, 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 good. All right. How many people are just neutral? Whatever. You know, I, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. And how many are like, I'll never do a New Year's resolution? Okay. Nice. That is awesome. Good. Well, I'll offend everyone then. That's fantastic. No, I, I used to be in that camp of not wanting to do New Year's resolutions because I, I felt like I was giving in to like the crowd, like everybody's doing New Year's resolution. My thing was, well, why don't you just do it in June, okay, and call it a June year revolution or whatever uh, resolution or whatever you, you want to do, you know, just kind of make, make it something different. And then as I started getting older and older and uh, not... Uh, changing at all, I decided that uh, it would be a good idea for me to try to start doing New Year's resolutions. And so uh, I actually now look forward to them, and I have uh, about six that I'm going to be installing, oh, tomorrow. Um, so I probably should get on that. And, and so uh, just in all different areas of my life, health and finance and relationships and all, all, all that kind of stuff. Well, we're, we're going to start a new series today for just a few weeks. Uh, Jeremy told you that we were going to be starting a series on Nehemiah, and that that'll probably be in three or four weeks. And we're going to be going through that book because we're all building something. You're either building a career, or you're building a relationship, or you're building uh, something in your life. You're trying to build your children, or whatever. Well, there are principles in the book of Nehemiah that God has set out that I think we can apply to our lives as we head into 2018, and we're building uh, stuff that God would have us to build. But prior to that. I wanted to do this series called New Beginnings because uh, we all go through these things where there's a new, a new beginning. For me, probably one of my biggest new beginnings was when I transferred out of the business world and, and became a pastor. That was a ginormous new beginning for me. I had been called into the ministry, I believe, in high school. And I went to uh, school to study theology, the same school Jonathan went to. Uh, he actually passed his theology classes, and I, I was struggling very much. And so I dropped out of theology uh, because I didn't feel like I was smart enough to be a pastor. And so I dropped out, and I went into business. Not that I was smart enough to go into business, but apparently I was a little bit smarter there than I was in theology. And so I, I, I left school going into business. And I was in business for 16 years. And during that process, God kept stirring in me this thing. In, 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 in our kind of pastor talk, we call it my calling. Uh, and, and you'll see in the Bible, when you read about somebody's calling, it's, it's uh, commentaries, we'll call it a call story. And this is my call story. And so I was involved in the church just like you are right now. I, was, I would sit in the pew. Uh, I, I, we were at the same church for 10 years. And I'd sit in the pew. And sometimes I'd lead worship. And sometimes I'd be on the board. And sometimes I'd, uh, you know, just all these different things. Work with kids, what, what have you. You know, I was just, I was just normal. <laughs> right? And so th th this happened. And God kept stirring. And these different opportunities would come up. Maybe to plan a church or to go to another church and, and, and work there or whatever. And God kept saying, no, 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 which was fine with me because I really, really liked my job. And, uh, and so uh, I worked and uh, ran their IT department and worked on their contracts and stuff. And it was, very, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, and so all of a sudden I got a phone call 
from Steve Fitch, our superintendent, and he said, we have a church in Garden Grove. And I'm like, whatever. You know, I've been down this road before with some other churches. I don't really, you know, he, God's going to say no. I Also, I'm not smart enough to be a pastor. So uh, I remember I failed all those classes. And so, so we show up on campus and... Uh, we were, they had just had a men's retreat, and they, some of them had come back, and this guy named Maury Estabrooks like, walked me around the campus. And I'm just waiting for God to say, yeah, this isn't it. I was actually hoping God would say, this isn't it. I kind of saw myself in Beverly Hills driving a Ferrari. So, <laughs> right? so, so we're, we're going through this process, and, 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 and there was something just stirring, and I'm going, man, he's not saying no. I always hear no. And he's not saying no. So I called up Lisa and we go into the parking lot and we pray and God doesn't say no. And they didn't have a pastor at that time. And so um, I went through the search committee, very intimidating, by the way. You guys are very intimidating. And so I, I was being interviewed and all these things, asking all these questions. And so finally, I felt like God was saying, it's time for a new beginning. You're going to leave your job of comfort and you're going to go into ministry. And I was way too naive to be as frightened as I should have been. <laughs> this was just my calling. This is what I knew God was calling me to do. And so we, I, I had one stipulation that we would not leave our house in Lakewood. We had just put on a big addition. I loved that house. It was only a half hour away. And I was used to, you know, a, a, a much longer commute than that anyway. So to drive a half hour was no big deal. And so we did it. We had this new beginning. I became the pastor of what was then Living Spring Christian Fellowship, which is now Living Spring Church, because it's just way too long to spell Christian Fellowship. Uh, and so I finally had my last coup, and I've changed the name to church. Uh, and so, so that, that was our stipulation. Well, it, as with every new beginning, it, it doesn't always turn out the way you think. And after I had made that commute, I realized I got to be, I got to be with the people. Like, even though Lakewood's like not even that far away, there was just something I needed to be closer. And I wanted to be uh, around 10 minutes from the church, not two minutes from the church. That's too close. 10 minutes from the church. So we sell our house in Lakewood. We start renting a house in Garden Grove. And we just figured, we'll just never buy a house again. We're going to rent for the rest of our lives. And, and here we go. It was a new beginning. Not only that, the job was a new beginning. I was used to working 60 hours a week. That wasn't a problem for me. But I would literally, this was back, you know, 12 years ago. I would literally take a 25-minute nap every day. It was so overwhelming to me and so exhausting. I wasn't being lazy. I just physically couldn't. It was just a new beginning. It was something completely new. Well, you've all had all of those types of things. You've changed jobs before into a new beginning and have felt what that feels like to have a new boss and a, maybe a new institution. Maybe you changed careers. Maybe you went from sales to administration or you, you're a teacher and you switch schools or, or students. You went from elementary school to junior high to high school. And each one of those new beginnings is this, is this tension and it's different. And maybe, maybe in, in your, you've been working at the same job, but you've been, you know, kind of moving up. And it used to be that you'd go to the water cooler and you'd talk about whatever. And then now you're a manager 
And now all those people who would talk to you don't even want to make eye contact with you. It's a new beginning. Or maybe you've been single and all of a sudden you get married and you have all these expectations of what marriage is going to be like. That it's just going to be wonderful and every single morning you're going to wake up and you're going to look at each other in the eyes. And you're going to love each other. Right? And then on week two, you realize, hey, this is kind of hard, or this can be hard. It doesn't have to be, but it, it can be. And so you go through that new beginning, or you have the new beginning of having children, those blessed children, and, and, and they come into the world, and they won't stop crying. And you're like, wow, that didn't come in the manual. Like, like what to do to stop it? So you do the, what are the five S, like shush, shake. No, not shake, shush, <laughs> whatever. There's, I don't know. I'm not a grandpa yet, so I'll get back into it. Um, but here's, here's, here's what I want us to get this morning if we don't get anything else, is this. Every new beginning is an opportunity to grow closer to God. Every new beginning, and some of our new beginnings, they, they, they were thrust upon us. We weren't even expecting them. Somebody walked out, and now you're in this new beginning. Or you got a diagnosis, or uh, somebody walked in, or whatever. You got a new beginning. Every single one of those is an opportunity to draw closer to your Heavenly Father. And so what I wanted to do this morning was look at somebody who has this opportunity for a new beginning. And uh, I preach this section of scripture every two years about, sometimes every three years. And I'm going to do it again this morning because uh, I love this section of scripture. And I think it, it identifies so much with all of us in this room about what it's like to have this new beginning and what is it like to experience Jesus in the midst of our new beginning. I'm also preaching on it because yesterday was my birthday and I can do whatever I want because I'm now technically in my early 50s. Okay. Every new beginning is an opportunity to grow closer to God. So what we're going to talk about is the story of the woman at the well. And uh, it's a famous section of scripture. You've probably heard of it before. Um, but I wanted to give you some historical context to what is actually going on here. Jesus was Jewish. And uh, in Israel at the time, there was a region called Samaria, where the Samaritans lived. And they were kind of Jewish. Back in 1722 BC, the Assyrians had uh, taken over and that particular section, they had populated with people that they had conquered. So they put Persians in that region and they put Greeks in that region and they kind of just put a lot of people to, to populate it. Um, and so with the Jews that were left, they began uh, kind of becoming part of the, um, uh, that culture. And so they were Jewish, but they started bringing in some pagan rituals and things like that. And so like a true Jewish person thinks of a Samaritan as dirty, as not quite Jewish, as off. So much so that when you went from the southern region to the northern region, the fastest way to do that is to go through Samaria. But nobody ever did that because Samaritans were dirty, and they were other. They weren't like us. Now, you can find, unfortunately, uh, many examples of that in our culture today. 
depending on which side of the fence you are on politically, depending on which side of the country uh, you are um, locationally, all depending on all those things. We have those people that are other than us. And it could be an ideology, it could be a belief system, it could be a religion, it could be whatever. These people that we don't, we, it would be better if we just went around. I have great, great news for you. Jesus doesn't have that lens. <laughs> he doesn't think in terms of other. He thinks in terms of child of God. He thinks in terms of trying to figure out where you're at. And so when they decide to go to the northern region, Jesus just goes right through Samaria to the discomfort of his disciples who were all about other. And that's where we catch Jesus and this Samaritan woman. She was other. And it even goes worse because at that time, women had almost zero value. Like they do in many parts of the world even now. In some parts of our country, even now, women didn't have any value. As a matter of fact, it was so bad that a woman was not even allowed to testify in court. Because you couldn't trust her opinion. You couldn't trust her perspective. And so that's where we find Jesus. Don't get mad at me. I'm just telling you what it was like. And <laughs> Gosh, many people are looking at me like, oh, I swear when this sermon's over, I'm going to get up. We're in John chapter 4, verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. So Jesus has this confrontation with other, with a woman and a Samaritan woman, a person who should, by all accounts, by Jesus' ethnicity and religious belief, have no value. And he says, will you give me a drink? He should not even be speaking to her. As a matter of fact, she says this, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. That's just John, the, uh, John just wrote that in there. Not me, John. The, anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Watch what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't go into, ah, oh, you know what? You guys are cool or whatever. Or I don't, I'm Jesus. I don't think about that way. Jesus goes to what he's trying to accomplish in this new beginning. And let me tell you, as you head into 2018, whether you make New Year's resolutions or not, or you decide to do it later, or you know you're making a resolution now that will be broken uh, by tomorrow, okay? Jesus wants the same thing for you that he wants for this woman, that your resolution, whether it's to lose five pounds or to get your finances in order, those are all great resolutions. I'm, do, I'm doing some of those myself. But there's another new beginning that Jesus is most concerned about. And so he says, he doesn't even ask her a question. Like, I'm Jesus. I can talk to anyone I want, which he could have said. He says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, to you and I, we think living water and we automatically think Oh, he's talking about becoming a Christian or uh, following God. But this, this term is so rich. That living water, um, to, 
to a Samaritan and to a Jew and everything. This is a specific term that is used for ceremonial washing. When the priests and the Levites and all those, when they do their ceremonial washing, you couldn't use a well water. You had to use, it's basically from a stream, from a flow. That is living water. And so Jesus says to her, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Let me tell you what Jesus wants for this woman and what he wants for everybody in this room, including me. And that there would be a life flow of the Spirit of God through our lives that would spring up in us joy and peace and hope. That whatever New Year's resolution we can have, it, that's, those are great. But there's nothing that compares to a new beginning when Christ is manifested most fully in your life. And that's what Jesus is saying. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus answered, every, oh, I forgot to tell you. She said, basically says, how are you going to get water? You don't even have anything to get water with. Okay, now we move on. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That is what Jesus wants for the woman at the well and everybody listening to my voice in this room and online. He wants your life with him to be full. He wants your life with him to flood into every area of your life. That you getting done with your finances won't just be a financial decision you make for 2018, but Jesus would flood your finances. He would begin to direct you not only where you give, but how you spend, who you give to, how you earn, how you do your job, and all these he wants to flood into there because he knows this is what brings eternal life. The more amount of Jesus we can have in our lives, the fuller it becomes. So he well, it says welling up to eternal life. Now, like a lot of things with Jesus and the Bible and the Holy Spirit and all these kind of spiritual things, we tend to continue to think not carnally in the sense of bad, but just humanly. Like, you know, if, if Jesus is saying something, we think, what impact is this going to have on us? Even though Jesus knows it's going to well up to eternal life, we tend to think oftentimes, well, man, this is going to have a real impact on, on, my, on my life. Okay. Um, so the woman says this, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She's thinking, this is going to be awesome. If I never get thirsty, I never have to come to the well. Now, let me give you a little bit of background about this woman to understand why she wouldn't want to go draw from the well other than just the inconvenience of, of that. Um, we're going to see in just a little bit that um, she was kind of an outcast. See, there's a reason why she was there at noon. In that part of the country, uh, the, the world, you wouldn't go get water at noon. You would get water early in the morning and at dusk, because that's when it was the coolest part of the day. And, and it was a social event. 
And it was the woman's job, again, I'm, don't kill the messenger back in that time, uh, they would get the water. And so women would gather around the well, they'd get the water, and they'd get caught up on everything that was going on. It was just a part of the societal fabric. The men would meet out at the city gate. That was their place. I don't know if they smoked cigars or did whatever, but that's where they would be. And they would talk about things, pontificate and, you know, do men's stuff, I guess. But this was the thing. So the fact that this woman is there at noon, if you were reading this for the first time, like John gets done writing out the gospel of John, and then he says, okay, here, read it. You would, you would go, what's she doing there at noon? Is that, that, that seems like a typo. It's at morning or, or at, at dusk time. And so for her, getting water was more than just getting water. She would be walking by herself down the street in the town. And everyone would be looking out their window and they go, oh, there's her. She's going to get her water now because she was outcast. So for her, this living water meant the release from shame of having to go get water. And so she says, give me this water so that I don't have to come here anymore. And Jesus, like he always does, goes right to the heart of the matter. He says, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said, you're right when you say you have no husband. (laughs) Then he says, the fact is, and oftentimes when we want to see change in our life, That change comes with something at a cost. So if you want to see change in your finances, that's going to come at a cost of buying things, okay? If you want to see a change in your weight, that's going to come at a cost of Twinkies or whatever it is that's your thing. My thing is uh, potato chips. Carbohydrates are my best friend. Uh, And so... It's going to come at a cost. If you want to be ripped, that comes at a cost of going to the gym. We all, we, all, we all know this. But oftentimes, the biggest part of the cost is the initial truth that you have to be told to initiate change. In other words, if it's weight loss, at some point, you have to look in the mirror and go, I need to lose weight. Like, if, imagine you go to the doctor And you say, oh, my joints ache, and it's hard for me to get out of bed, and all this kind of stuff. And the doctor says, well, I don't know. I'll give you some painkillers, and, and, you know, you're still a good person. So let's just leave it at that, and off you go. That would be a bad doctor. If there was something else, right? If you have a cancerous mass in your back, and you go, man, I just got this lump, and it's weird. and And he's like, oh, you know what? You're doing great. You'll be fine. Instead of going, hey, guess what? You have cancer. Well, Jesus is the perfect person to have look into your soul and say, you know what? You got a problem because he loves you. My doctor doesn't love me, not my current one, Uh, (laughs) right? Like like oftentimes the people who are speaking into my life, sometimes they, they, they don't love me. And so Jesus does this thing. The fact is, and the reason he says the fact is, is because we are so good I don't even know all of your stories, but you are good. And I am so good at fooling myself to say, well, I I know what the problem is. It's not me. Of 
course not. It's such and such. It's my circumstances. It's where I grew up. It's, it's the economy. It's blah, blah, blah. And so we say things like, um, you know, uh, I don't know why my kids are upset with me. Um, I, I'm really trying to get the most out of them. And Jesus would say to you, the fact is, you're really judgmental. <laughs> No, 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 I'm not judgmental. No, no, I'm trying to get the most, I'm trying to pull all, I want to get, just, I want them to reach their potential, okay? We'll say things like, you know what, when I go into a meeting or I'm in a place, I just speak my mind. I'm just, I'm just, I just, if it's inside, I just tell it like it is. And Jesus would say, the fact is, you're insecure and feel safe keeping people off balance. That's why. See, and it's not to shame. It's to say, look, you need a diagnosis before you can change. We say, oh, we want our kids to have everything they can have. We want, you know, to make sure they're in this and that and this and that and that. And because we love our kids. And the fact is, maybe God, Jesus is saying, you live vicariously through your children. <laughs> like, that, that's the thing. Now, again, I'm not saying this is what he's saying if you put your kid in soccer, okay? I'm just saying he does the best job at being able to go, do you know why you're anxious? Do you know why you're feeling that way? The fact is, your busy schedule has crowded out God. No, 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 it's not that. It's just that it takes so much to make ends meet nowadays. We fool ourselves. I do everything for everybody. They don't even appreciate me. No, the fact is, you're a people pleaser and you have horrible boundaries. (laughs) The fact is you refuse to take responsibility for your actions. The fact is your priorities are robbing you of joy. Okay, you get the picture, right? Here's what he says to her. The fact is you've had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Now, this is so beautiful. Because what Jesus says after that could have been, seriously, girl, five husbands? You can't even make up a story to where you're not part of the problem there. Like, I can't even, like, I'll give you one and two, but three, four, and five, come on now. That, that's, that's a you problem. You got you to gotta figure something out, right? He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, do you know what the Bible says about five husbands? He doesn't say, I told you Samaritans were wacky, right? He doesn't do any of that. He doesn't do any of that. He just says, yes. What you said is quite true. We're starting to get somewhere now. Now we can start to talk about what it's going to take to get you that living water. You're not going to be able to keep going like this. It's incompatible with living water. You're going to have to let something go. There's some part of your life that has maybe caused five husbands, whatever the whole situation is. There's some part of your life that might be causing anxiety, some part of your life that's robbing you of your joy or whatever. I don't know what it is. I made up dumb examples to put in there. But I'll bet you know. And I know Jesus knows. And the best person to diagnose what you're going through is somebody that loves you and will tell you the truth and not shame you. And that's Jesus. And so she says, Sir, I can see that you're a prophet. (laughs) Because nobody would have known that. But you can start to get an idea of why she was shamed in her own city. Because they had a different way to tell her she had five husbands. They had eye rolls. And they had murmurs. And they had whispers. 
And they had ways of bringing their kids, turning their kids away. That's not how Jesus does it. He says, look, let's get to the, let's get to the root of the problem so that we can get to the living water. So she starts going all spiritual on him and uh, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain but the Jews claim that that this place where we must worship is in Jerusalem and Jesus says woman and again don't read this like somebody in uh, 2017 he wasn't like woman I'm going to tell you something that isn't isn't how he he said it it would be something like this ma'am hold on believe me A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Don't don't get caught up in that. We want to go back to the living water. He says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. And then she does this great thing, and I don't know how the Lord inspired John to write this, but uh, it meant something to me, so I put it in bold. <laughs> then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? That there was somebody who could tell this woman everything she ever did. I hope Jesus never comes to me and starts rattling off everything I ever did. That would be so uncomfortable. But if somebody had to tell me everything I did, I would want it to be Jesus. Because he would begin with administering this living water, this spirit of God. You begin opening my eyes to the word and I begin to see it differently as I go through my time daily in, in his word. He'd open my eyes to some things about me that aren't really that great. Things I hide from myself. Things that I, uh, thoughts that I have that I think are, that I keep hidden. Deficiencies that I have that we all have. He wants to get in there and just begin to just take that flowing water and go, you don't need that. And I just love this imagery of this jar that she has. That she has to walk through the town at noon in front of everyone. This, this, the jar became an, a symbol of her bondage. A symbol of her past. A symbol of the mistakes she'd made. A symbol of her deficiencies. And she leaves it at the feet of Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a jar? Do you have have something that your identity is wrapped up in? Something that maybe somebody told you when you were little? Said that you were this type of person, you were this way, and you've been carrying that jar all this time? Some of you, are you carrying a jar of inadequacy? Somebody told you you should have measured up to be more. You carry that jar. You carry a jar of what might have happened to you when you were a little kid by somebody who took advantage of you. 
who violated your sense of dignity and you've been carrying that jar ever since. Jesus wants to replace that jar with living water. Jesus wants to replace that jar and just put it at the feet of Jesus. And he begins to fill your life with living water. It could be anything. It could be something that's happened in your past. It could be something that you've been struggling with. It could be a lie that you've been telling yourself all these years. And Jesus just says, look, set it, set it down. And this is what he does when he comes and fills a life. And here's why I wanted to start this series with that particular story. Because oftentimes at a time like this, I would, I would ask you to maybe raise your hand if you know what your jar is and I'll pray for you. Or uh, sometimes at, in church we have something for you, something tactile where you could say, I'm going to take that thing, maybe a rock or something. And we'd say, you want to leave that jar? That represents your jar. You want to leave it at the feet of Jesus. But I wanted to do something completely different this morning. I wanted, you to, I wanted to ask you to commit to praying this week, every day, or whenever you think about it. Well, Lord, is there a jar I have been carrying around? My identity that is not your identity for me. A jar that you would replace with your living water. Not the water that I've pulled from some well. Not the water that I've, I've, been, I've been handed to from somebody else. Or is there something in my life that you want to replace with your living water? And so I'm going to ask you to do that this week as the worship band comes back up and we close. Maybe it'll be in that time. And during that, this last song, as we wrap up the service, we do a number of different things. One is we fill out those connection cards. And as Jeremy was saying, um, it, it's, it's not necessarily to keep attendance like, like you're in trouble if you don't come to church. Uh, that's what God will do. To, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> We don't need to do that. No, it's so that we can see who hasn't been here for a while and we can reach out to them because we care about people. And like we say every single week, it's better when you're here. And so we want to make sure we're not missing anybody. And that, that's why we fill those out every week. And again, if you're new and you're like, I'm not giving you my information, that's, that's fine as well. But those prayer requests on the bottom are so important. And sometimes you'll be going through something and you might be having this time when we're just in our last song and you just hear the Spirit of God going, hey, I know what your jar is. And it might come into your head. And you might want to write down a prayer request for that. And it might just be that it's just too personal. You can check a little box on there that says pastor only. And only myself and Pastor Jonathan will see that prayer request. But we fill out our connection cards. For those of us who give, uh, we don't pass a plate here. Um, we just, if you prepare your offering, we just, there's a box in the back that all those connection cards and offerings go into. But the other thing we do is we try to connect in some way to the word of God. And so I'd ask as we're singing this, and you can join with the singing, you cannot join with the singing, this is just your, your time. That you might just begin that prayer, begin that seeking, and you might just say this, Lord Jesus, What's my jar? What, what would you have me begin to lay at your feet? Begin to seek you for the, the source of living water, the source of water that never runs out, that just keeps flowing. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, um, we are thankful that you are not afraid to tell us the truth.
And yet, you do it for our own good. You do it so that we can stop carrying around all these jars, that we can stop carrying around all this baggage, that we can stop uh, looking in the mirror and making our identity on our looks or how much money we make or all this nonsense. And we can find our identity from you. Just to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, or I'll never leave you or forsake you, or take my yoke upon uh, you because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. These words of truth that you speak to us. Lord, I pray as we take this time of quiet or singing or whatever, that we would hear your voice above all so that we can set those jars at your feet. In Jesus' name, 